going on, man? Welcome to the show, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. As you all know, we have a special guest in the building. Everyone knows him as Real Life Cash. What's going on? I'm doing all right, Max. How about yourself? How are things? I see you got the right colors on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great time to be a Knicks fan, isn't it? That's right. That's right, man. Oh. It's absolutely a great time. Can't complain. Yeah. Before we get into the whole background and your beginnings, congratulations on the show, the MSGPM show. It's an amazing show. You have a lot of amazing guests on there. Great content as you are a digital executive, digital creator, digital creative one of the most talented people of this generation right now, especially coming oh. up. And we'll get into all that, of course. And Jeez, I, I only keep it real. I only keep it real from, <laughs> from the, you're creating your own publication, the stash, the podcast that you have, you deserve your flowers, man. And that's why you're here tonight. Man, I appreciate that, bro. That's super nice of you to say. It's still, uh, uh, I'm still trying to get better at taking compliments. So uh, I'll, I'll just <laughs> say thank you for that, man. It really means a lot. Definitely. Becoming a phenomenon on Twitter as well. How do you like the Twitter world? Because you seem to, as though that's your main source for popularity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I've, I feel like I've been on Twitter for a long time and Twitter just kind of like, it, it, it fits me, man. Like I'm a writer by nature, you know what I'm saying? And, and obviously like sending tweets is not at all the same thing as like writing and like creating, you know, scripts or any sort of thing that people would get paid for to, to write things with. But I mean, like, it's just, it's just always been a medium that I really enjoyed using, man. Like it's real time. Uh, it's, I've made some great connections there. I owe a lot of my success to, uh, you know, just being able to share on Twitter and, and building up an audience there because a lot of the people that, you know, for the most part anyway, uh, they, they try to get some some sort of context when it comes to sharing content throughout there. And it's a little bit easier to move to other mediums. So uh, I love Twitter, man. It's fun. And mm -hmm. especially like during games and like talking to Nick's Twitter and talking to NBA Twitter, like it's just nonstop. Uh, there's always something to talk about. So it's like the barbershop, but on steroids, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. How do you feel about the Knicks team this year? You got to be excited, especially that you're doing the MSGPM show. You're rooting for the Knicks. You have all the bandwagon fans coming back now. They weren't with us when Ron Baker was on the team. They weren't, <laughs> they weren't there during the Fisdale years, the Hornacek years, the Fisher years. Yeah. But all of a sudden, here comes the crowd. But that's that's what's gonna happen though, man. I'm not mad at it. I mean, I'm a lifelong Nick fan, so mm -hmm. it's special. It's extra special for me this season, just you know, being able to work with MSG Network and the Knicks, and to you know, be one of the first faces that Knicks fans see after a big win or after a, a big loss yeah. or <laughs> anything like that. Like it's it and it, and it's felt good because it feels like every game has had its own like sort of importance, and every member of that Knicks team is has. Uh, sort of a chip on his shoulder in, in some way, shape or form, right? Like you go down the list, you got Julius Randle, who's, you know, been, you know, pretty much given away by the Lakers and the Pelicans. You got Derrick Rose, who people thought was left for dead. You got RJ Barrett, who anytime to bring up top 20 something year olds or guys in his rookie class, he always seems to get forgotten. And then, you know, uh, Tibbs, who, you know, he, he didn't necessarily end uh, his, his tenure in Minnesota the way he wanted to. And people kind of forgot just how much of an incredible basketball mind he really is and how much he's uh, he's always had a style of play that's been conducive to winning and a team that just has fitted so well that's needed it. I feel like Tibbs and, and a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, locations or franchises 
maybe they're not as uh, comfortable being a, a grinded out team, a defensive playing team, like a team that's going to get some scabby knees and, and, and really bring it every single night. I was listening to 98.7 today, uh, Barton Hahn, and he was like, the big advantage with the Knicks is that they play hard every night. And I know that sounds real simple, but not every NBA team plays hard every night. And when you're a Knicks fan and we've been starving for something to root for and starving for a team to really get behind that really embodies the city, this team is it. You know, it's it's something, it's, it's a team that was built through the draft, through savvy free agent moves. And, uh, you know, the hard way. And, you know, even through my wildest dreams as a Knicks fan, I couldn't picture them being in this position, uh, you know, with the playoffs just a week away. It's insane. And the Clipper game yesterday gives me that confidence back because I said that. I said, watch out, Knicks fans, because we're getting too overconfident. We lose to the Suns. We lose to the Nuggets. We can't beat these player, these playoff caliber teams. And we did that with the Clippers. So now the confidence is back. We can go into the playoffs. We could beat those playoff team now. So I'm wait, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I yeah, I got, on, I got on Twitter and I was like, listen, if the Knicks go 500 on this West Coast swing, they, I, I think they'll really be able to do something in these playoffs. It's one thing to get hot. It's one thing to have a streak. It's one thing to even home, hold down home court advantage. But once that second half of the season was released, Everybody was looking at this West Coast swing like, oh, man, this might be this might be what what seals the deal for the Knicks. I mean, I'm a lifelong guy like yeah. I've, <laughs> I've seen Nick teams start out well. I've seen Nick teams have good stretches for either an injury or just something to just befell them. And they just kind of revert back to the Knicks that we all kind of have unfortunately gotten used to. But every time it seems like that other foot's going to drop and like, all right, the Knicks are going to, you know, flounder back to like eighth, ninth, <laughs> tenth or whatever. They answer back with one of these big games. And the Clippers game was a perfect example of it. That's a team who was really trying to win this game who had, you know, Kawhi Leonard was playing, Paul George was playing. They got Pat Bev back. They were, they were, they were in there locked in and the Knicks went in there to a hostile environment and took it with, you know, with two important players sitting out as well. Um, and they, uh, they, they, they didn't just win. They win. They won in a way that is, um, you know, we've grown accustomed to them winning throughout this entire season, which is playing hard defense, um, shooting the ball real well. And, uh, you know, just playing team ball, getting, getting 20 points from Reggie Bullock, getting 25 off the bench from Derrick Rose. And, you know, when you got a guy like Julius Randle, who's been, I've been calling him the corner of Larry Bird all year because, you know, that's that's how he plays. Like, that's what it reminds me of. And uh, when you got a guy like him who's been playing out of his mind all year and didn't necessarily have the big scoring output and they still beat a very good Clippers team, that's when you know, like, okay, it's time to up a little bit of the expectations now. Now it's like, okay, getting in the playoffs would have been fun. Getting in the play is fun. All getting home court advantage is fun. Now you got to defend home court. So it's like defending home court means – you got to win that first round. So now I think Knicks fans are starting to really ramp up those, those hopes and expectations, knowing that they're a little ahead of schedule anyway, being <laughs> like, you know, we didn't expect this anyway. So everything's kind of gravy at this point, but now you see what they're capable of. Now you're just like, all right, let's see how far we can take this. Mm -hmm. And let's hope we could take this very far into the playoffs. I read online that they are a dark horse candidate for the championship, which I could see. I could definitely see that. I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves either. I mean, obviously there's, you know, I think the, the good thing about this team is that, you know, I, I feel like the last really good Knicks teams is maybe like 2013. Yes, Mello, I remember Jason that was Kidd. my eighth grade year. 
Right. Oh my God. He just aged me. <laughs> and uh, knowing that it's like, it felt like that team, that was their best shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like they got the good free agents. They signed big free agents. They made big trades. And it was like, all right, this is the best we can do. This is the best shot we got with this team. It feels like the beginning of something more, right? Like all of, a lot of the important pieces to the team are either young, cheap, or uh, tied to the coach to where I couldn't see Derrick Rose or Todd Gibson playing for anybody else for the rest of that career. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I feel like it, it and it seems it seems really like uh, simple to say, but this team just really likes each other. You could tell like there's an energy around not even just the players, but like, you know, the commentators and the analysts and the people who work in the building. It's like there's a real a real sense of togetherness with this team. And uh, I feel like, you know, there's it's it's attractive to other players. It feels good. Like you are the A block when the Knicks are winning, even if you're not the most quote unquote popular team in the city or whatever. Like it's a Knicks town, and when it, and New York's always going to be a Knicks town. Yes. So it's uh it's it's really fun, man. It's it's a really fun time to be a Knicks fan. And uh, even though a championship would be nice, I'm yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not against that at all. No. I'm saying I think what's really fun about this ride is that it's the, it's the building blocks, it's the foundation there. A culture has been reset. That's and right. now it's like, okay, now there's something you can build on. Now this is something that star players want to come here and see, wow, this is what it's like when the team is in third or fourth place and doing really well. Can you imagine what it would be like if they brought Larry OB home here? So it's 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 exciting. That would be insane. I was reading online today that the Knicks could target Kyle Lowry in the offseason. I'm curious who the Knicks are going to bring in because I feel as though the chemistry we have now, I don't want it to go south. And then all of a sudden the Knicks are back in the eighth seed, the ninth seed, the, all the way at the bottom again. I feel as though they're rolling good here. All we need is one more player, I'd say, that's a star caliber player that fits well with the chemistry that they have now and a draft, good draft pick. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think the Knicks front office has done a tremendous job finding diamonds in the rough, right? Like a lot of these signings, like I remember when, you know, the Knicks were, they pretty much kept the same team that they had last year, give or take a few players or whatever. And a lot of people snooze that a Nerlens Noel signing and a Reggie Bullock signing and Alec Burks and like all these guys that don't necessarily jump off the page and aren't like the lead story on SportsCenter when they have a good night. But you ask any New York Knicks fan and you will you will you will shake somebody for Alec Burks like yeah. you, will, <laughs> you will go hard like and, you know, and I feel like even with a guy like Obi Toppin, right, who came in with a lot of fanfare, a lot of repick, almost uh, uh, almost a lot of expectations uh, coming into the season as the reigning National College player of the year. I even feel like Knicks fans have even been a little bit more kinder to him, knowing that he was drafted, not expecting Julius Randle to have an all NBA type of season. And even now he's forming himself into a very valuable role player going into the postseason when Julius isn't going to, we're not going to want Julius Randle to play 42, 45 minutes going into the stretch run of these games. You're going to need these 10 to 12 minutes where a guy could come in and really be a spark plug. And he already got that spark plug in quickly. You got that spark in Alec Burks who can take over games. Oh, and yeah. now Obi Toppin is starting to come around as a dude who could really energize that team and, and keep those second units, which, 
you know, if you watch any Knicks game, those second units is what has been the difference between most of those games because Derrick Rose going up against second string point guards is almost unfair sometimes <laughs> or he can get whatever he wants anytime. So now you add that with a guy like Emmanuel quickly is going to be on the all rookie team and Obi Toppin, who has a lot, a lot of talent going against non lotto players. So he can build up his confidence and hopefully next year you add another rookie and that dude has another year of confidence in him. So the skies are really the limit with these, with this next franchise, man, it's, it should be a fun, uh, fun couple of years here in the garden. I think it's safe to say that the Knicks have turned a new chapter in the book of that book that was been awful for years. As you know, who's your favorite Nick of all time? Oh man. My favorite Nick of all time. I got several, I got several. I mean, I've always got a soft spot for Anthony Mason rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Always got a soft spot for, for uh, Patrick Ewing, obviously the captain, uh, John Starks. Um, I'm a mellow apologist. Obviously I always go hard for Carmelo. I always, Respect the fact that he took on the, uh, the the challenge of being here in the city. And unlike LeBron. Pride, unlike, <laughs> unlike a couple of people, but unlike a lot of people, man. Like, look, I know a lot of folks have their hearts set on, you know, the, 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 the megastars of the world. But, like, would you have come a couple of years ago? Like, <laughs> now, now you look at the, you know, culture is extremely important in the NBA, man. Like, it's a player's league. And if players don't feel comfortable playing somewhere, then, you know, they're going to choose other places the good thing is now you got guys like worldwide west who's super connected you got leon rose who's super connected you got tom thibodeau who's established a culture and knowing that i'm not even going to attempt to sign to that team because i know what tibbs demands of me as a player and as a coach so i mean there's a lot of things that you can really uh be excited about with them but as far as like my my favorite guys uh i'll always always gonna have love for mellow and uh patrick ewing and honestly I know it's super early, but Derrick Rose, man, like he's his story. I'm, I've been a Derrick Rose fan for a long time, even when he wasn't a Nick. And his story is so inspiring. Like you never, uh, you're a Knicks fan. You've been a Knicks fan as long as I could probably remember. Yep. You never get these star players that come to the New York Knicks and find it again. It's always, it's usually on the way down. It's usually like, like Stoudemire. Like, like, like Mick Dice, like McGrady, like Penny Hardaway, Steve Francis, (laughs) like you name it, like guys who were literally can't miss TV. And as soon as they got to New York, it was like, they were out of gas, but Derek Rose's resurgence. He's playing the most important basketball since he was in his MVP form in Chicago, you know, and it's so dope that this is his second stint with the team. He chose to come back. He told uh, Dwayne Casey of the Pistons, like, hey, man, like, I want to go, uh, you know, can you please just kind of let me go to a team where I feel like I can have a deep playoff run? And they were like, and he was like, the Knicks. And he was like, the Knicks? I think we have a better chance in Detroit. Well, who's laughing now, Dwayne Casey? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who's laughing now? So Derrick Rose is definitely climbing up my, my rankings as far as uh, favorite Knicks of all time. He doesn't look like number 25, Derrick Rose. He's completely different from when he coached under Hornacek. I mean, those were the brutal years. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a completely different guy. I mean, he's so efficient. He plays with, you know, there's there's a sense of calm when he gets into the game, right? Like, he's just playing so free. He's playing like, uh, you know, it's it's incredible to see somebody who was so athletic, who was literally, at, at one point, the most athletic point guard I've ever seen in my life. Um, just have the game slow down for him 
Whereas he's not necessarily trying to overpower you with athleticism anymore, but like he's just such a chess player when someone's trying to guard him and when he's breaking down defenses and getting those little floaters and getting those line drive threes that look like they have no chance of going in, but literally just <laughs> swish every time. Um, and if you hear the way he talks about the game, how he approaches it, um, it's just really inspiring for anybody who's ever had to come back from any sort of um, real, real uh, devastation uh, that had to come back from any sort of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Any sort of uh, adversity, sorry. Um, he was a running joke for a while. A lot of people were just like, you know, the, having like the Derrick Rose knees jokes and all that type of stuff. So like nobody is more happy to see that dude cook than, than I am right now, man. Like, I'm so glad he's not turned into a what if story, but uh, wow, this is a great, a great story, you know? So shout out to him, big a fan. Gr a great sports story. 2013 was the last time the Knicks were actually relevant. We're back to being relevant again as my favorite player of all time from that 2013 team would be the sixth man of the year, J.R. Smith. Yeah, love J.R. put him in that game and he was shooting all those threes. I remember there was a game against the Boston Celtics or him and Novak, I think, scored eight three-pointers. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember that, that game vividly. And That was such a fun team, man. Shout out Steve Novak, does MSGPM with us all the time. He's a great, great guy. Um, that team just had so many personalities, from Iman Shumpert to, to uh, Jason Kidd to Tyson Chandler, Yamelo. Pablo Prigioni. <laughs> Pablo Prigi, Prigi Smalls. I love Prigioni, bro. Um, that was a really fun team and a very, uh, you know, a team that, you know, kind of ran into a buzzsaw with Indiana, but I really enjoyed the makeup of those guys, especially J.R. Smith. He came fresh from China. I remember that first game. He came fresh <laughs> from China, still had the high top fade. And I, I think he might have practiced with the team one time and came off the bench on the nationally televised game and got buckets immediately. So, yeah, I got, I got love for J.R., man. J.R., one, one of the greatest and underrated out there, and everyone loves him during his championship time when he took his shirt off and went, <laughs> celebrating his wins there with Cleveland and of yeah. course the Lakers, but it's time to get into your backstory. Was this always that something that you want to do as a kid is get into the media side of things? Because I heard about when you went to SUNY purchase, you started out as an intern at the source magazine. Now you're a multimedia personality in the MSGPM show podcast. Was this something that you always wanted to do, especially with the magazine side, because that shows that you're a journalist as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, initially, my, my first major before I went to purchase, I was into business management. And I wasn't really a big fan of that. I kind of only took it because I was playing basketball there and I had to major in something. You're a big and athlete. That's right. Exactly. So once I transferred, um, you know, I was always a big fan of Slam Magazine and, and The Source and XXL. And I always was like, man, I want to just be able to create one of these magazines or write, get my name in one of these magazines or write it. Cause I always just loved writing. I was a big writer back then. So I switched my journalism to my, switched my major to journalism and a lady by the name of Mary Alice Williams was like the first person who really gave me, is that my dog? Calm down, Pootie, calm down. I'm whining and everything. Um, a professor by the name of Mary Alice Williams. She was the first ever um, female anchor at CNN. And she was uh, one of my first journalism professors. And I didn't really have a ton of broadcast journalism experience up until that time, but I just wanted to try it because I loved Stuart Scott and I loved uh, Scoop Jackson and Stephen A. Smith. And, you know, a lot of these guys who, you know, had an illustrious pen, 
But, you know, as, as I'm watching, you know, how I, I wanted to be a journalist and wanted to write and stuff, I was like, okay, well, what's the end game there? Because you can write as long as you want, but if you're not elevated, what's the big elevation there? And all the guys that I liked on TV that talk sports, all were writers at heart and started off as writers. Even people like Skip Bayless, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but like, you know, I, he's an incredible, you know, you can't take away what he's done as far as like being like a writer and a print journalist. So kind of saying like, you know, as, as I've kind of grown from there, Mary Alice Williams was the first person to really like give me the confidence to be like, you know, you can do this TV stuff. Like she media trained Barack Obama when he was getting ready to go on a uh, the Democratic National Convention. She uh, media trained and worked with guys like Brian Gumble, like some of like the biggest anchors on the world. And once he gave, she gave me confidence to, you know, really pursue this. That's when I was like, okay, like there's an end game here and I could make it there. So, um, you know, I, I, I was interning at the Source Magazine while I was playing ball my junior year at college. And I was kind of interning and going to school at the same time and eventually I got hired there but I was still in school so I was there as a staff writer and doing you know writing stories on like Jay Electronica and Wale at day and then like zooming over to like my last semester at SUNY Purchase at night and um you know that kind of like began the hustle for me like that's when it was like all right well you got your foot in the door and now, you know, it's, it's time to really start like elevating that. But knowing that, you know, she had trained like Bryant Gumbel and all these CNN folks, I knew I didn't want to be that. I knew I wanted to, to be to lean more to the Stuart Scott lane because he was the first person I saw that was uh, an incredibly talented journalist, but was authentic to himself and didn't seem like he was kind of like trying to do a, a, a not a second great version of anyone else but you know it let me know that it was possible to go out there and be you and still be super legit so that was kind of the way I, I saw myself evolving from you know a writer to an editor to you know creating my own magazines to um you know doing tv writing for tv doing as much stuff as I creatively could do possibly because I always feel like most creatives um, aren't necessarily held to one medium of ex, ex, you know, one medium of expression, right? Like mm -hmm. writing was one thing, then it became TV, then it became podcasting, then it became, you know, designing and, you know, all that stuff. So I've always really wanted to, you know, dip my hand to, into as many things as I could because, you know, I didn't want to leave any limits. I wanted somebody to see what I do and be like, yo, you can do that too, because there, there is no rules. Who says you have to just be newspaper? Who says you just have to be TV? Who says you just have to be radio? Like, why, why not do everything as good as you can, as long as you can, until somebody tells you no? Or you could just create your own stuff and make make that work. So, I've I've always enjoyed it. Always enjoyed it. That's a fact. And something that's interesting was that with your school at SUNY, you were putting together performances and one in particular with Drake, you were able to chop it up with him and you actually wrote a story about it for the source. Yeah. Yeah. So that was funny enough. That's how I got my job at the source. Right. So like <laughs> I was, so I'll tell you the story. I was interning there uh, for a minute and, you know, I was still writing stories and granted anybody who knows, you know, anything about the source knows that like, you know, it wasn't, 
it wasn't back it wasn't the source of its heyday right like it was they were still trying to like get back up on their feet after a lot of their controversy but i saw it as an opportunity i saw it as like all right well that's not the best thing but like i can make the most of it and try and, and try and go for it right so um you know i was one of my good friends jeff levin he was the head of events at school and every year we threw a concert at our campus called culture shock and uh, Culture Shock, you know, anybody who's been to SUNY Purchase, SUNY Purchase is a very alternative college, all right? There's lots of, you know, it's, the, the motto is keep purchase weird. It's a very weird place. But they knew I was working at the source. They knew I had, you know, interviewed a bunch of artists and a bunch of talent. And uh, they were like, Kaz, do you think you can get us like a rapper to come perform? They had a little bit of money. We had about like $10,000 to go and like find an artist. And, you know, it was a lot of pressure because initially the performance of the years past was like Jadakiss and like Mace and, you know, uh, you know, I think, I forgot, I think DMX did it one year, but like there was always like one rapper and it was always the closing, the closer. So uh, I was interviewing Drake for a story in, on uh, Toronto hip hop. I was interviewing him, Boy Wonder, Belly, and Socrates, and I want to say uh, Cardinal Official. Um, but I was a fan of his. I was a fan of, uh, you know, I was a fan of Degrassi. Uh, I was a fan of Comeback Season. I thought it was tight. And I thought, you know, even if like y'all people don't like the song, Purchase is weird enough to be like, oh snap, the kid from Degrassi is performing at our school, right? <laughs> But personally, I thought he was tight. Like, I thought he was hella dope. And, you know, I kept in pretty good contact with him for a while. And, uh, you know, we wrote some stories together. And, you know, I got to interview him a bunch of times for the source. And one day I'm going to, uh, you know, interview him or whatever. And I'm like, hey, listen, like, we're doing this, this campus uh, concert. Like, do you think you'd be down to, like, perform? And he hadn't really performed it. This is, like, before So Far Gone. Like, So Far Gone maybe was a couple of, months away from dropping right so um he was like yeah for sure i'd definitely be down so we book him in like february right no we book him in like i want to say january yeah like january february right a couple weeks later so far gone drops right lock him in and the buzz just grows and grows and grows and grows and we already had him locked in for this show um so I'm interning at the source at the time. And as the date comes, it's around like middle of April. I want to say like April 20th or whatever, 20-ish. And uh, my editor at the time was like, yo, Drake is having a big show up, up in uh, SUNY Purchase. Does, does anybody know anybody that can get us in so we can cover it for the magazine? My little intern ass raising my hand. I'm like, actually, I helped put the show together. I booked them. So everybody was like, word <laughs> i was like yeah <laughs> so um they gave me the assignment so after you know he performed and all that i did the story i wrote it whatever and i was still interning at the time and i knew at the time drake was like the next hottest biggest thing in the magazine and in, in, in hip-hop basically um so i was just basically like once i did the story i went up to my editor and i was paying for my own way to get two front and back to, to school or whatever. And I was like, you guys aren't getting the story unless I have a job by the time <laughs> we get this. So my editor was like, we're, and now that I think about it, it was pretty, probably a, a jerk thing to do, but like it had to be done. 
And, um, you know, they took like a couple of days to get back to me. And I remember my, the editorial director, no, the creative director, Don Morris, uh, called me randomly. And he was like, he's like, Kaz, are you, you're not coming back? He's like, I'm coming back. I'm just, you know, waiting on something. He's like, yo, I heard you're holding the magazine for ransom. And I'm like, uh, not really. He's like, nah, man, that's fucking awesome. He's like, hell yeah, do that. That's how you take initiative. So, you know, they, they agreed to a deal and I signed my first uh, writer's job uh, contract with, with, with Source Magazine, became a staff writer, then eventually became online editor, then became one of the managing editors over there. And uh, that was that that Drake concert and, you know, that Source Magazine, you know, job really set me on a path to really, you know, a lot of things in my career. I learned so much, just soaking in so much game and being able to, you know, take it on and be like, you know what, I can do this, or I can attempt to do this, or, you know, all that other stuff. So it was, it was that, that, that hold that, you know, Drake's career and that show and, you know, everything leading up to that very near and dear to my heart, because <laughs> who knows what, how things would have went if, you know, that didn't happen. Yeah. And it's fair to say that you, you had a little part in his early career there, but it was, <laughs> it's, it's, it's super microscopic. He was, yeah. 1000% going to be like a megastar <laughs> with or without that show. So let's, uh, let's definitely not throw that narrative out there. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was really cool to be like the first show, even before SOBs. Like, I think, you know, he came out, I think the first song he came out to was, uh, uh, congratulations, the bonus record off of uh, so far gone. And everybody knew the words to all the songs. And he started like crying, like backstage. Wow. He was like, Dog, I've never heard one, two things he said that stuck out. He's like, one, I never heard people chant my name before. And two, I've never had people like sing words back to me before. So he didn't even really know what to do. So, you know, it's one of the rare concerts that he performed like so far gone in almost his entirety. So doing like best I ever had, every girl in the world, uh, you know, uh, all the young money Houston, records. Houston, Atlanta, Vegas. Houston, Atlanta, Vegas, like just classic songs that like he'll probably never perform again. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 crazy. This has been what, like 12 years, 13 years now? Like I'm I'm going in. He had, he had a bunch oh, of down. Man, I got some I got some classic footage of that concert in my old Blackberry somewhere that I got upload <laughs> one of these days. Like standing right on the stage and watching him perform in like a denim suit. It was fantastic. Oh wow. <laughs> What's the difference of doing an interview like we're doing now compared to doing an interview for a magazine? Because I feel as though you have to cover different topics. There's different things that you had to touch on because it's more in depth since it's a print article. Yeah, what are some I mean of the things that are different. I mean, there's different there's differences. I mean, it, it feels like when you're doing uh, when you're doing on air, uh, when you're doing camera interviews or whatever, it's it's more conversational. Um, a lot of times you could you know, and and this kind of works for magazines too. You could uh, get something, and whatever you kind of planned on, they could give you something live that's better than whatever you have on paper, and you can kind of skew towards that a little bit. Um, but when it comes to magazine writing, I've always had more fun doing that because a lot of times, especially in media, we like context. And even on TV, even on on air shows or podcasts, you know, it's really easy to lose context and not have like the full scope of things. Whereas magazines, uh, if you're doing it the right way or any sort of written uh, publication, 
you know, you have the opportunity to really set the scene and create scenery and not just be hot take, hot take, hot take, quote, 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 you know what I mean? Like super, any of that stuff, like with the magazine or with anything written, it feels good because, you know, it's one, it's, it's, it's a medium that isn't necessarily uh, as active as it once was, right? Like I'm very old school when it comes to that sense. Like I'll always have a soft spot in my, my heart print publications and magazines because it's 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 what I grew up admiring and what I grew up loving. I mean, I watched I watched Brown Sugar when I was little. I was like, man, I want to be like that when I was growing up, you know. And uh, yeah, it was um, it's there's there's many differences, but I would say the ability to provide proper context because even if you want to, even if you want to have you know these long drawn out you know answers or interviews on tv a lot of times you got to get in and out a lot of times you only got three or five minutes per segment before the commercial or anything like that so a lot of times when you get people on you can't really get deep you can't really like dig in unless you got them for like an hour or two or something like that unless you're on a podcast or something but uh tv it's very very quick it's very in and out very in and out very in and out as you said what would you say was the most interesting story that you covered during your time at the source or any magazine publication that you've been involved with? Man, I've always, uh, man, there's several. I mean, like I've always, I've always really like, as time has gone on, I've really admired my time at the source because I never, I didn't overstay my welcome, right? Like, I feel like when you're writing music, when you're writing about, you know, especially hip hop, it's a very generational genre of music, right? Oh, I say so. Yeah, I don't want like 40 or 50 year olds writing to, writing about like Lil Pump and Lil Uzi. Like that's not your music. That's <laughs> not, you You wouldn't, even if you try your best to articulate it, like nobody's going to care. The people who listen to that music aren't going to care what you say about this guy's song. But when I got to the source and, you know, I was one of the youngest people there, you know, still fresh out of college, a lot of the guys I were covering were like my age mates. So even the people that were over at the source didn't, even really want to cover like J. Cole or Mac Miller or Wiz Khalifa or Nipsey Hussle or, you know, Drake or, you know, any of these people. Like I was all over the freshmen. I was all over like the, the, the crop of people that were popping on the blogs or the internet and stuff like that, you know, whereas, you know, it was very easy for others to kind of like chase like the, the bigger rappers at that time. So I would say like, you know, in, in my source days, I loved, uh, I did this, I did a uh, Big Sean's first cover story. And that really meant a lot to me because, you know, Big Sean was a guy that I really championed for a while. And uh, he was the cover of the Rookie of the Year cover. Uh, and I think he shared it with Rick Ross for the Man of the Year cover. And this is around the time where like, I really believed in Big Sean. I think he had just dropped, um, you know, Finally Famous. Uh, he had the Detroit mixtape that dropped out as well. And, uh, you know, I was really championing him for a long time. And he, you know, he's always been very uh, appreciative of that cover of that story. And, uh, you know, I think the last time I, I spoke to him was doing the DJ Khaled podcast and got to catch up about that, which was really cool. Um, but on top of that, man, Stash Magazine was, you know, a labor of love. That was like a real, some real dream come true stuff. And, you know, being able to create those stories and two stories in particular, one with uh, Wiz Khalifa and another one with Pete Davidson. Uh, Pete's a guy 
who, you know, I had known for a while before, you know, he had gotten to like wild and out and uh, just watching him, you know, kill the comedy clubs and knowing him through Nick Cannon and friends of Nick. And, uh, you know, we were both Staten Island guys. Like we would take what I was like writing at the source and he was doing stand-up. We would both take the express bus back from the city back into Staten Island and just shoot the shit about, you know, life and just being, and he was just so young at the time. Like, you know, he was barely allowed to even be at the clubs he was performing at, but he was always just like, man, what you do is so cool. You get to like, you know, cover stories, write music and that. I'm like, dude, like you're on TV all the time. And you know, that, so being able to, you know, even though we did one issue of Stash Print, doing that story with him, doing that story with Wiz Khalifa, where we got to follow him on tour, um, doing a story with Carrie Champion, like when she had really started getting into the ESPN bag and being able to tell those stories through certain lenses, always have a special place in my heart. I still keep a stash magazine. You know, if you come to my house, there's either one laying on a night table or a coffee table or something like that. And it's always really cool to pick up and look at whenever I get the chance to. They were released quarterly. $20 they cost per each one, which was well worth it because they were released quarterly. These weren't things that were released each, yeah. week, each week. Yeah, this was, it was like a coffee table book, man. It was expensive to make. Uh, shout out Steve Stout. I mean, Stout, you know, he believed in the vision a lot, man. And I loved, you know, being there at that time because he really believed in like doing stuff that made sense culturally, right? Like he, he was always a big believer of, yo, even if it doesn't make money right now, it will make money eventually because he's very, he was always very tapped into what, you know, was happening in the culture and knew that having an established voice and an established name and that was always going to work out in his benefit. So I, I really loved uh, working with him and help bringing that vision to life because of, uh, you know, he bankrolled it. <laughs> <laughs> and look at all the legendary stuff that he did with Nas. And then speaking of which you guys are both affiliated with the guard and the Knicks, he's changing the culture with the Knicks now too. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see Stout. Uh, man, I feel like the last time I saw Stout was at like a WrestleMania. <laughs> I think it was at, uh, I think we were in MetLife Stadium and I walked into, he was like, yes. I was like, like Stout, Stout was good. And you know, he's, He's, he's always been, um, he's always been a big supporter of me, man. And, uh, you know, I'll always have a lot of, uh, a lot of admiration for that because, you know, he's, he could, he could put his name and his, uh, his, his reputation behind a lot of folks. And, uh, he did it for me when I was very young and, and trusted me to like create and lead a brand new publication. Um, so I always, I always, uh, have a ton of respect for him for that. Something that's interesting about your story is your story of being at the hip hop wired because unfortunately you were fired from there, but how were you able to gain that confidence back into creating your own publication? Because a lot of times when you're fired from a place like that it wrecks your confidence. So I'm trying to figure out how did you gain that esteem to just build that name back up for yourself? I'll be honest, getting fired isn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be like, especially if, you know, you're, you're a creative, like a lot of times being fired just means like, you just kind of need to shift your direction. You need to shift your, your focus. And a lot of times if you're at somewhere where, you know, you're not really putting your best foot forward, they kind of know it's never, it's never a bad thing to be let go of places because I'm the type of person who 
I'm going to get it right until, you know, the wheels fall off. I'm going to keep going and going until you like have to stop me. So um, it, it wasn't even the thing about getting my confidence back. I feel like when I was at Hip Hop Wired and shout out to Alvin uh, Alvin Blanco, who I love working with, um, you know, it was great. It was the first time I was at a publication, at, you know, after the source that really felt like, you know, this is how media you know, this is how digital media should be run. You know what I mean? Like I was kind of learning on the fly at the source through no fault of the source of their own. I mean, I was young and I was just kind of like, well, I'm just going to do what I think works. And there's nobody here that's going to tell me yeah or no, because I'm the only guy here. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, being at hip hop wired is, you know, being at mogul the media, which is, you know, being under the bossip umbrella and all these like really huge websites and, you know, there was there was good and bad to that. There was definitely a lot of good because it was working with black folks and knowing exactly how to make this thing work. And, you know, they know the digital game better than almost anybody. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I wasn't necessarily covering stuff that I loved covering anymore. You know, like I wasn't it, it was a hip hop. It was hip hop based publication, but it was still it still sometimes could feel just a little gossipy. And, you know, I wasn't really, you know, the biggest fan of the stuff I was covering at the time. And, you know, I knew how much it took to create change and create, you know, new franchises uh, or new, uh, you know, video, uh, you know, forays that we, we've done. So it was a lot. It was a lot to kind of uh, put forth. So I wasn't necessarily down afterwards. Like as soon as I got let go, um, you know, translation called and they were like, you know, we're, we're, we're we're looking for a guy with sort of your expertise to kind of help build out this, uh, you know, this um, this sort of editorial space that we want to own um, that doesn't feel like an agency ran uh, piece of editorial. So it made sense to bring in somebody from the outside that wasn't just like, you know, a guy who worked there that was just going to blog on the side, you know. So it almost worked out perfectly. And, uh, you know, I always feel like I leave places with uh good intentions and good you know and good good vibes so i i i really enjoyed my time at, at hip-hop wire and i really learned a lot and uh it led me to you know like i said getting fired is never a bad thing it always it just always shifts your direction and shifts your focus and lets you kind of know what you're down to do and what you're not down to do so can't be mad at that. Yeah, when you get fired, you got to take the Paul Pierce approach, go on IG Live and just laugh it off. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do all that. Matter of fact, I wouldn't suggest IG Live for anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, unless you're on Versus. Like, IG Live, like, once you're on IG Live, you just know things have gone bad in your, <laughs> in your life. <laughs> So no, I would I wouldn't suggest that at all. <laughs> oh, oh my, my goodness. Ugh. From there, I think the fans of yours would love to hear how you got involved with writing at the WWE because the WWE has their cult fan base. It's insane how rappers play a part in growing up as fans as wrestling fans because it tends to be, you know, it's rednecky. We could say that it's very a little bit. Red- a little bit. It's definitely it's- a good old boys network. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I've I always feel like creatively, I've been. Um, I've been extremely fortunate because I've never, people always say like, oh, how do you find the time to do all these things? I'm like, I would do this stuff for free, man. Like, mm-hmm. this is fun for me. And when it came to the WWE, I was a lifelong fan. 
And uh, I had just came off of doing stuff for lots of TV. I was doing stuff for, uh, you know, um, Marshawn Lynch and Facebook Watch, a Bleacher Report. I'd done stuff for MTV and MTV2. I had done stuff for Uninterrupted. And uh, there was an opportunity at WWE to kind of like join their, uh, you know, head up their digital department. And at the time, I had my own podcast, my own wrestling podcast that I was doing for fun. And, you know, me and Wale used to, you know, hit wrestling shows together. So, like, I knew a lot of the wrestlers already, you know. So, when, you, when you're when you applying to WWE, they do a deep, 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 deep dive into your life to make sure, you know, you are who you say you are. And as they did a deep dive, they were like, okay, great. Like, this is a nice, you know, we can have you do this digital thing, but, like, you know, we looked into it and like everybody here already knows you. They're like all the wrestlers kind of knew you already. And like, you know, a lot of the people that, you know, follow you online and follow your podcast, like they, they, they know you. So they were like, is there anything you would want to do if you were to come work here? And I was like, anything? They're like, literally anything. I was like, one, I was like, I was like, one of two things. I'm like, one, I'd love to either be a on-air talent interviewing folks, or I'd love to help write the show. And they're like, write the show. They're like, great come here Monday, we'll interview you, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. So uh, on top of that, man, like it was, it was working for the WWE was one of the most, uh, and I say this a lot about all the places that, that, I, that I've worked at, but working at the WWE especially was one of the most fun times of my life because I got to travel the world. I got to work and write with and write for people. I grew up cheering for and being huge fans of um every day at work every time didn't matter what city you were in and obviously this is before the pandemic this is before you know this is back when they were doing live shows and live crowds and everything the best part about that is no matter how hard that week was you live for that rush that you can literally not get in any form of entertainment right like you've you've worked you work on a segment or a match or a promo for a week. And you're hoping that people just like it or the fans get into it. So like there's that, there's that anticipation of walking into Gorilla and seeing Vince and Triple H on one side, seeing the production table on the other side to get your headphones, you talk to your wrestlers, you, 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 you tell them, all right, this is what we're gonna do, blah, 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 blah. And you could practice all that in the world but the big variable is those 20,000 people, you know, outside waiting for you. And there is absolutely no rush of, are they going to like it? Are they going to cheer? Are they going to boo? Are they going to be, are they going to get it? Are they going to, you know, enjoy it? And every single time, every single time you did good, uh, you got like the, the either the, the handshake from Vince or like the salute or, you know, the wrestlers came out and they really liked it or the fans just went nuts and really enjoyed it. Like no matter what part, what realm of entertainment you're in, there's no place that can replicate that. You can go and write for, you can, I don't know, you can go write for Game of Thrones, okay? Like you're never going to go and have to like premiere Game of Thrones, that script in front of 20,000 people oh. <laughs> instantly. And they're going to cheer and boo what you like. You know what I mean? Like it's the one, it's literally the only form of entertainment that my love of sports and my love of writing combined to such a, like a titular way where it's like, 
oh man, I live for this rush. So um, it was incredible, man. I still got friends there to this day. I still work with WWE here and there, whether it's, you know, doing some on-air stuff or filming things for them or, you know, just, just there. They've always been very, very great to me. I've gotten to do some great collaborations with Foot Locker and Wale and uh, WWE getting the sign off on it and them loving it. And of course the talent, the talent, I'm still, you know, I'm watching Raw right now. I'm watching yeah. like the New Day, <laughs> watching Kofi and Woods and, and, and Omos. And, you know, these are my like real life actual friends who know my fiance, know my family, like, you know, and it's like, man, that's crazy. It's uh, crazy. Like, like Randy Orton, I'm watching Randy Orton right now. Like I grew up watching Randy Orton and like, that's like a guy I can literally be like, oh, that's, that's my guy. Like he'll see me and what's up. And it's like, it's still, it's still trippy to me. It's still trippy to me. Isn't it crazy though? How the whole beef panned out there with Soldier Boy and Randy Orton. And I'm going- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nah, that was hilarious. That was hilarious. And it's, and it's funny because anytime things like that happen, like, my mentions blow up because I'm like one of that in that that pie chart of a sliver that can understand both, <laughs> like understand the Soldier Boy portion and the Randy Orton portion. So it's it's fun, man. It's it's a really what fun. years did you were the what years were the main years that you were writing for the WWE? Because I'm trying to figure out what time frame it was. So it was from 17 to like mid 18, like right oh. after, right before WrestleMania. Right before Kofi Mania, so I would say like I always, I always, uh, I always uh, call my years working at WWE the Ronda Rousey years. That's when she was. <laughs> that's when she was there. She was the shit there. She was the, the biggest star we had, one of the biggest stars we had, and uh, you know, getting to, getting to, you know, it was it was such a, a great time, man. Like I know a lot of people have their certain, you know, issues with with being there, and 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 a lot of times people are sort of bitter and whatnot, but like, you know, WWE really gave me, you know, granted I did do TV stuff before, but it's different when it's like, man, I grew up watching this stuff. Now I'm creating the stuff that little me is going to watch and be like, oh man, I could do that or I could be in there. And it meant a lot to be able to write some great stories with black talent who never really had somebody that looked like them to really help, you know, articulate how they want to be perceived on tv um you know the 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 face of wwe is changing every single week and uh you know it's really dope to be like to see a bit of yourself on that show because i never really saw i didn't see a, a whole lot of myself growing up you know in wwe and i was still just a massive fan of it so you know who knows what what that place looked like in the next 20 years and that generation who was seeing this grows up and and wants to be a part of it is Rey mysterio still involved yeah yeah, Rey yeah. Mysterio still, he's wrestling with his son if you could believe it or not wow <laughs> and his son is like his son is like six three like way oh, taller wow. than it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was my go-to wrestler when I was younger, Rey Mysterio. Yeah, the whole man. era, Batista, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Randy all those Orton guys. There, the Rock, Triple H, all those guys. Yeah. Those are the classics. Those are the classic wrestlers right there for you. Mm-hmm. And just getting back to, to the magazines and everything that you've done thus far, going into your show now and the MSG PM show, your podcast. How's it feel to be in the podcast world? Because you've been in it for a while now. How do you love this medium? Yeah, I, I love it because it, it's a little bit more uh, uninterrupted to, to, to steal a term. What do you want, Pootie? You good? You good, buddy? Come here. You good? 
stuff on my dog said anytime my dog sees me talking to a screen she's like who are you talking to come play with me. um yeah i love podcasting because it feels a lot freeing it feels very free you know it feels like uh you know I'm, I'm a guy who really likes to have proper context when i'm you know creating medium i never want to be a gotcha journalist I never wanted to be somebody who felt like, you know, they couldn't trust to talk to. And that was one of my main goals. I wanted to be trustworthy. I wanted to have a trustworthy voice. I wanted folks who came on my show or came on my pod or listened to me talk knew that, you know, what they're hearing is honest. And, and you know, I can learn something, whether it's something small or something big. And it's like, I never got really big into audiences either. I was just like, you know what? If 10 people listen to the show, if 10 million people listen to the show, it, it won't change either way how I'm creating the content because I've always wanted people to really just, I, I, I know how important it is to have support and I never want to take any of that for granted. So when you're, you know, creating a podcast, people that listen to podcasts, like believe in you, like you have a captive audience for at least two hours and change. I know I got somebody's ear, you know, and, you know, a lot of times when people do that, they are cleaning their house, they're working out, they're driving somewhere, they're going to work. You're, you're a part of their life now, you know? So I've always loved podcasting. I thought it was, I think it's a great medium. Um, Combat Jack, who I worked with, uh, you know, when I was at the source, who I was a big part of helped bring to the source. Um, he's always been an inspiration to me and he continues to be even, you know, after his life is, is, is was, was after he passed away. Um, he was somebody who was always big in the podcast. Obviously the Combat Jack show is a legendary show. And, um, you know, anytime I do my show now, I always, look to him for inspiration. I always look to him to, you know, I obviously would never want to, you know, uh, try and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't, he was, I wouldn't be in the podcasting if it wasn't for him, you know, like he was always telling me for the longest time, just about how much that media means and, you know, what the audience is, even now, even in 2021, where it seems like everybody has a podcast, even now, like young black men and women we're still super, the super minority when it comes to the audience, you know, like it's still a very, it's, it's still a medium that's really ran and decided by like, you know, white people, yeah. you know, <laughs> and uh, combat was absolutely a pioneer in that. So, you know, I, I would hope that the folks that, you know, either came up under him or did, or did any work with him or admired him in any way, shape or form, continues to keep that legacy going and uh you know there's there's a lot of voices out there that want to be heard that you know that people want to hear as well so i always got so much uh love and admiration for for reggio say for combat jack for that what is your overall goal that you want to accomplish or something that you want to get into next because you've been in the, the media side and digital or magazines and now podcasting and a live show on msg what is that that ultimate overall goal for your career I think I'm doing it right now. I yeah. think my my overall goal, obviously, you always want to make new goals, but like I think I've kind of already established that like I can't be put in a box, right? Like I I've I think I've already established that like you know, if I'm seen doing something, it's be, it's not just because you know it's it's something cool. It's because it fits me and you know creatively, 
you know, I want to be able to continue to create for as long as I live. I, I don't ever see myself like truly retiring from, you know, creating content. It's just that, okay, what's going to be the 2040 version of what a podcast is? Like, what's going to be, because, you know, like if somebody would have told me 20 years ago, this is going to be the majority of my career. I'd be like, what the hell is a podcast? You know, <laughs> I would have been into magazines and stuff like magazines. You mean magazines aren't, you know, you mean the sources, the huge it's a magazine thing anymore. It's making tons of money. So, I mean, as far as like content creating, um, I want to continue to amplify voices. I want to continue to create cool stuff and things that people enjoy. And at the end of the day, stuff that I enjoy, because I feel like the more I'm creating things that I enjoy, uh, the less it ever feels like work. It, I always feel like anything that I'm doing that I'm getting paid for, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, would do it for free because it is, you know, I've always thought it was my calling. And, you know, I, I've never, it's never lost on me how important it is uh, to have a platform and to build your own platform and to build your own tribe. So it really means, the mo uh, means a, a hell of a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I just want to continue doing that. And you're going to be and getting into hip hop talk now. You're from Staten Island. Yes. You're a Staten Island guy. You know where I'm going with this. Yes. The Wu-Tang <laughs> Clan, who's that number one rapper from the Wu-Tang Clan in your mind? So I, I, I got, I, it's impossible for me to yeah. pick one. So if you, know what, <laughs> if you know any Staten Islanders, they would tell you it's really tough to pick one. But I would go, I mean, Ghostface was the first. Wu-Tang rapper that I was like oh man this guy's incredible um but you know the first famous person I ever met was Raekwon at my barber shop and wow. you know anybody who's in Staten Island or lives in Staten Island knows that if you've been in Staten Island long enough in the mall or in a random barber shop you're gonna see Method Man or you're gonna see Raekwon right so I mean I've had phases like Ghostface was my first favorite. And then, you know, I got into Only Built for Cuba Links or Raekwon. And then the older I got, I really got to appreciate RZA and his eye for production and his, his incredible ear. Method Man was always like the mega star that seemed like the easy choice. It almost felt like at one point, Method Man felt so big. I almost didn't believe he was from Staten Island. Like <laughs> at one point, like at one point, uh, like he was so popping. Yep. I was just like, you, this guy's from Park Hill. He's from here. I'm like, no way. You know, and, you know, I'm young and stupid. And then, you know, you see him just walking around the mall with, you know, his family. It's like, holy shit, it's Method Man, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, I've had my phases, but like, you know, I really got appreciation for RZA. Always been a huge Ghost fan to this day. Supreme Clientele. Uh, that's the album for me. Supreme Clientele. I mean, I love Fish. I even love Fish Scale, man. Fish Scale's I a love, good one. Iron I Man. Love, Iron Man, I even love the the R&B album he dropped, the Ghostini and the Wizard oh, yeah. of Poetry. I thought that album, the album was great. Uh, and even uh, Purple Tape too, Built for Cuba Links too, with, uh, with Ray was was incredible. But um, yeah, man, yeah, those are those are my favorites. Besides Wu Tang, who's your top five hip hop artists of all time? Oh, jeez, I don't know, I don't know. It's hard to pick my top five. I would go, man. Obviously, Hove. Hove's always going to be my number one. He's always going to be the best to me. Um, what was it? My fault. Hove is always going to be number one to me. Um, I'd say, 
You could probably throw probably throw Kendrick on there for mine. Wow, wow. Yeah, he's in my top five ever. Uh man, I'm a big man. It's so I feel like it changes every time. Like I'm a big three stacks and outcast fan, mm-hmm. obviously. Um a one time I was a huge, huge like DMX fan. Mm. Huge DMX fan, right? Um, so I would say my top five would go Hove, Kendrick, Big, man, Nas, Hove, Kendrick, Big, Nas, and yo, lowest the keys. I'm gonna go Missy Elliott. <laughs> I'm gonna go Missy Elliott because Missy, I feel like for some reason when people bring up like Missy, people just kind of glance over like her reign as like one of the <laughs> best, you know what I'm saying? But like she's just as just as, as a creative, one of my favorites. But actually, I'll I'll give her a bonus. I will throw I'll throw Lil Wayne to round on my top five. I'll throw Lil wow, Wayne. That, where's Pac in there? Where's Pac? Yeah. I yo, listen, I love Pac. Love Fox, but he's he, you know not one of my favorites. Wow, I said, not one of my favorite. I always respect Pac. I always mm-hmm. you know appreciate what he's done culturally, but like it's you know it's rare that I listen to Pac on my own when I just kind of feel like it. You know, what I mean, I always appreciate it though. Like I always think he's an incredible artist, but you know, East Coast ears, man. I got very East Coast. Okay, I get what you're saying. (laughs) Outside of Kendrick, I got very East Coast. Why does Kendrick crack your top five? What is it about him that you love most? He's never put out a bad album. Like, oh, no. No, I think Damn. I think Damn was horrible. You thought Damn was horrible? (laughs) Pulitzer Prize winning Damn? Yes. You thought Damn was horrible. Yes. I, I, I like Duckworth, but the rest of the songs on there I couldn't get with because I was a big good kid mad city fan and it's just it because i'm someone that's a i'm not a big fan of the new mainstream music that's out here we have the mumble rap culture the the kendrick's newest album with dan was too commercial for me and i'm someone that loved good kid mad city and i appreciate 90s hip-hop there man every song on damn has only aged better. I even like playing it backwards for the deluxe issue. I even liked, I liked the, the Untitled. Obviously, uh, probably my favorite Kendrick project might be uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. Okay. Uh, that might be my favorite, but Section 80, I mean, he's just never missed. He's never missed. And technically, musically, creatively, he's always kind of raised the bar and he's always kind of, you know, he's never disappointed me as an artist. Like, even like, for artist wise, like personality wise, like feature wise, you know, as a mo as a group, like as a mogul, like he's never disappointed me musically. So like I got I got a third country in my top five. He's he's one of the best. And and even people from this this era, like if I had to, I mean, I can make a case for J. Cole, I can make a case for Drake, I can make a case for Wale. You know what I mean? I can make a case for a lot of these guys, man. Just I'm, I'm always a lyrics guy first. And if you got something to say, I'm always going to listen up. And um, those guys were really the soundtrack to like my late teens to like 
my entire 20s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my top 10 always varies because I'm someone that respects the MC. So I got to go Tupac, Biggie, of course. You got to go Nas. You go Eminem, Rakim, Big Pun, Big L. You can go on and on and on. But, I mean, today it's different, but you kind of got to throw Drake in there at some point for if you're someone that really respects the new school or like yeah people audience. people are always hesitant to put drake in a top five maybe because yeah. he sings too much or he's got too many hits but it's like yo bar for bar he could still go you know yeah. what I mean? so <laughs> it's like say what you want about the dude he's he's really got it so um you know i won't i won't be this i don't i don't judge you I'll never judge you if he's uh, if he's on somebody's top five. No. no. Who's an artist? Because you, you noticed Drake when he was coming up. You said, this guy's going to be the next big thing. Is That's what I said to people I, when I went to middle school with. And people were like, oh, he's too soft. Why do you listen to him? Well, look at yeah. him now. He's on your playlist. Yeah. <laughs> the artist that you're looking at right now that you're going to say, this guy's probably going to be the next biggest artist. Oh, man. The next biggest artist. I, I mean, here's the thing. Like I said earlier, the reason why I really enjoyed my source days is because I never overstayed my welcome and I never <laughs> tried to tell, I never tried to tell like seven, 16 and 17 year olds what music they should relate to because I'm not a 16 or 17 year old. Um, so I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't say for sure, man. Like I would say like, you know, there's a lot of dope women out there. I feel like there's a lot of dope female MCs. You know, outside of the mega stars like Cardi B, Mega Thee Stallion, and all that. Like, I'm a big Rico Nasty fan. I think Rico Nasty is hella dope. I think, um, man, there's this girl that I saw from Houston that had this in in incredible record, but I can't, I can't figure her name out right now. But I like her a lot. I like, uh, I like guys like, um, I think Corday is on his way as far as like being one of those. Those, those voices of his generation as far as like culturally. Because, he can really rap too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's when it came to certain artists, man, like obviously I'm not necessarily, I'm not super uh, 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 into the mumble rap either, right? Yeah, I think like, it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while. No, listen, it took me a while to warm up to Young Thug. Like, I thought Young Thug was mumbling for a while until I really, like, sat there and listened to him. I was like, oh, no, nah, Thug is dope. Thug is real dope. And um, Lil Uzi also. Like, Thug and Uzi, like, were my cutoff points. Like, anybody, <laughs> anything below them, I'm just like, yeah, I, I, I can't follow. It's not yeah. Like, I'm getting into Moneybag Yo. Moneybag Yo is dope. Um, I mean, I think the baby, when he's focused, when he feels like really like saying some real shit, he's 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 a beast. Uh, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a big thug fan though. I'm a big thug fan, but I don't think he's up and coming. I think he's he's kind of there already. I'm yeah, saying. he's he's there. The slime yeah. season twos, the beautiful thugger girls, and yeah, yeah, he's exactly. there. But Kaz, is there anything else you'd love to tell my audience here? Anything else? Man, uh, nothing much, man. Just really appreciate you having me on here. Um, I always, you know, I was you, you know what I mean? Like, as far as like, you know, being in college and trying to like reach out to get uh, folks on your radio show or network or, or whatever, like I, I was you. So always means a lot to like, you know, hit up, you know, these college shows and, you know, get that, get that help. If it helps you out, man, it, it really helps me. I always really try to reach back out and, you know, know that it could, it could really uh, help your show. So, you know, continue doing what you're doing, man. 
Um, it is a long journey in his media yeah. career. Uh, it's going to go with lots of twists and turns. Just be able to, you know, drive into the curve, man. Like, yeah. just know that. It, just keep, just keep at it, man. Just keep at it. And uh, I really do appreciate you thinking of me for this show, man. It means a lot. Oh, no, you you already know. Thank you for coming on the show. Shout out to Kaz, one of the influential creators out there right now doing his thing, MSG PM ah. show. You can check out all of his podcasts. Make sure you follow him on Instagram and Twitter and tell me your Instagram and Twitter handles and where people can tune into your podcast. Yeah, you can check out Say Less with Kaz, Loki, and Rosie every Monday on all streaming platforms and on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash Kazim. Also, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kazim, K-A-Z, E-E-M. Uh, check me out on MSG PM after every home Knicks game. Um, and uh, I think we should be back in the AM once the season ends. Yes. We'll see <laughs> how that goes. And uh, check me out on the Mass Man show with the Ringer. And, um, you know, we got some some great stuff coming out with Spring Hill as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place, man. That's right. Make sure you go check him out. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Subscribe to my YouTube channel here, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. And we'll be back. Wednesday night as usual, and tune in to Mad Max Radio on Live 365. And we are out right now. Kaz, I want you to take care and enjoy the rest of your night. Appreciate you, man. Yeah.